I had every opportunity to take the easy street. I did. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I could, I could have just got by through high school. I could have, I could have went through training and been this, this mediocre guy who just slipped through the cracks. Um, and, it, and I've seen a lot of guys take those paths and it all power to them because they made it. They're great men. Um, but there was something inside of me that wanted to drive people to, to be the best they could be. That was my passion. It was never to highlight my achievements. It was always to empower people to see their potential and to like go above and beyond it. Because that, that's rewarding to me if I could motivate you. And I think that's a true aspect of a good leader is in that there's a huge sacrifice that you have to take upon yourself. Because the moment you build somebody else, you have to bring yourself down to their level or even lower. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Leadership Compass podcast. Uh, this week, we've got uh, a guest that I got to listen to on, a, on another podcast and was just really fascinated and affected by his story. Uh, his name is Dash Wong, and uh, I heard him on what's called the Three of Seven Project podcast. Um, which is run by Chad Wright uh, and his brother Blake. And it was just a powerful story of adversity and overcoming adversity, but in a, in a tremendous, uh, in a tremendous way, also bringing other people along and helping other people become their best. And uh, was able to reach out to Dash and connect with him and, and see if he would come on this podcast with us and just share his insight on, on leadership and uh, man, does he deliver. Yeah, Chris, thank you so much for, for reaching out and setting this up. This was very special. Uh, I'm so, so thankful to uh, have had the opportunity to speak to him. And I know our listeners are really going to find value um, in, in listening to Dash. Uh, it's especially in education, but in every, every business, it's been a long year. And, you know, we tell our kids all the time, any situation, you can look at the uh, there's two sides of any situation. You can look at the negative part of it or the positive. And what you're going to see with Dash is his optimistic way of looking at things and looking ahead and always having something to look forward to and thinking about others before himself. That servant leadership piece has really helped him become such a successful person um, and, 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 and helped him get through some tremendously difficult times. Um, in his life, multiple times, multiple setbacks, multiple moments where it would have been easy to give up or go the other way. And he, he doesn't, and he's going to explain to you why. So it was a very powerful interview. Um, you know, I hope we get to follow him and I think he's going to accomplish some great things in the future. So enjoy. This was a special one. Welcome to the Leadership Compass podcast, our journey to explore how the best leaders lead with your hosts, Dave and Chris. We interview leaders in education, coaching, and business to see what makes them tick and what makes them the best leaders they can be. And now, the Leadership Compass podcast. All right, Dash, thank you so much uh, for coming on to the Leadership Compass podcast. Welcome. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to have you on here. I've been following you on, on uh, Instagram for 
about a year now. Um, learned about you through uh, the Three of Seven Project and, and Chad Wright, and uh, you know, I've just been super inspired by your story. Uh, so welcome to to our podcast. Uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about leadership, and uh, you know, would love to just hear a little bit about you and who you are. Share that with our listeners, and uh, you know, and then go from there. Well, awesome. Thanks so much, Chris and Dave, for having me. And sure is a pleasure. And hopefully uh, this message can go out and help some people that are either struggling or have some questions about leadership. And yeah, it's an honor to be here. So thanks so much for bringing me in. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, if you don't mind, like even just down to to your name, I mean, that's one thing that I know you talked about with Chad on, on his uh, on his podcast, and I don't want to be redundant or anything like that, but it's just a you know, even just from, from the time of your birth, you know, I think there's, there's some pretty cool stuff, uh, you know, just about your life and, um, you know, maybe start there, uh, just with, you know, your childhood and how that maybe helped shape some of your experiences, um, as an adult now. Sure. I mean, we'll try to keep this in 45 minutes, but I'm probably sure I can go for four hours. <laughs> That's all good. Um, so my name is Dash Dong Wong and, uh, Growing up in the military, that was, that was pretty much a comical joke because uh, my skin color has nothing to do with my name. I'm not Asian <laughs> at all. Um, I was born in Honolulu, Hawaii, um, and my my parents wanted nothing to do with me at the time. My mom was a stripper, and my father was in the, in the military in the Navy, so somehow they split, and I was left abandoned at Triple Army Medical Center by myself. Um, so... I got nicknamed before I got thrown into child protective services as Dash because they one lined my birth certificate. And uh, with that, my mom ended up coming back into the scene. Um, she raised me till I was about 11 years old. I was raised on the streets. I watched her go through prostitution. She was heavy, heavily addicted to meth and coke and, and uh, growing up in pimps houses and, and child abuse. And it was just a really interesting childhood when I look back on it. But um, but I never saw myself as like being in an adverse situation, never looked down at my, you know, and I definitely wished I had what the other kids had. I mean, I didn't start school till the fifth grade and I always wondered like, why am I so alone? But um, I never looked down upon it. And I was always just trying to make the best of my scenario or my situation, never blamed anybody for what I was going through, uh, never stood in remorse or, or, or took all the guilt upon myself i just said well if this is where i'm at then let's just make the best of it so that's kind of the, the start of my childhood to where i'm at now so if uh how did you get involved in the military then um you know just if if you know starting education at five and or at uh, in the fifth grade rather i'm sorry um yeah. and then you know so how did you get exposed to the military well that, that was interesting so when i started school in the fifth grade um everything in my life had everything to do with skateboarding. So I was a huge skater boy in Hawaii. Um, growing up on the beach, I did nothing but either body surf. I used to steal McDonald's trays from, from the, from the restaurants <laughs> or Jack and box trays and go body surfing. I had absolutely no money. Uh, so when I finally got into school, um, the, the family that adopted me, they were Asian. They were the Wongs. They were Chinese. My mom was Thai and it was such a unique uh, household to grow up in. They were so strict with academics. They were so adamant about me doing really well in school that I just immersed myself into academics. I made this, it was a, uh, I always want to belong somewhere. I guess that's where I'm leading into the story 
is I wanted to show value to whoever wanted me to be a part of their life. I wanted to show them that I was worth it. I was worth their time. Uh, so going up fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, it was rough. Uh, I, I was so far behind the curve, uh, but I was never made fun of, which was nice. I was thankful for that. But I, so I was put in after school programs like Kumon for after school mathematics, uh, after school reading programs. And the, the longer I did it, it just built this, I won't say a military mindset, but it built a structure in my mind of, yeah. of studying, working my way up from the very bottom to the top to be the best that I could. Um, so by the time I got into middle school, I uh, went to Moanaloa Middle School. Uh, they had this thing called the uh, Air Force JROTC program. It wasn't in our middle schools in the high school, but the high school uh, ROTC guys would come over to the middle school to show us these cool things. And them rappelling off buildings and running information and doing marching drills and spinning rifles. And I remember looking at them, seeing this, this professional aspect of them like with their uniform on the way they looked and the way they held themselves and they were so different than, than everybody else and they were looked up to and I said I remember telling myself like I want I want to be a part of that I want I don't know what that is but I want something that they have because I never really belonged anywhere you know I was always abandoned thrown around here child protective services I was like I want to show people how awesome I can be because I knew I had something inside of me I had this burning desire to just be great and I was, I was like, I, if they can do it, like I can do that. And that is cool. I thought, I thought when they were rappelling off buildings, like, dude, that is sick. You know, and of course, you know, you're, you're going through hormones in middle school and all the girls are like, oh, that's so sweet. It's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. Uh, so when I got into high school, I went to Monolua High School. The first thing I did was I went to the Air Force JROTC recruiter and I said, I want to join. Um, so I got my uniforms. Uh, and I just got, I got so immersed into this. I didn't do any after-school curriculum activities. I didn't join any sports. It was all ROTC for me, marching, color guard, special forces, um, adventure challenges, workouts. Like I loved it. And the more that I, I, I flew, I, I followed those footsteps, the higher ranking I became. And, uh, by the time I graduated my senior year, I was the commanding colonel of the 921st uh, Air Force JROTC uh, division for the whole island chain of Hawaii. So it was like, there was this big weight of like, of honor and respect that everyone was giving me. But when it came down to it, the only reason people looked up to me at those moments was because I never, ever put myself above somebody else. I was always the low man on the totem pole and I always built everybody else up. I always told everybody else how great they were. And because of that, it made my success even greater, right? They're like, dude, you always motivated us. I was like, it's vice versa. It's a two-way street. Um, so yeah, so that's a, that's a little bit how I got introduced into the mil military career pathway. I was supposed to go to the uh, Air Force Academy after I graduated high school. Um, had a, let, uh, a letter of endorsement from the governor, which is required in order to get mm -hmm. to the academy. Um, I had I had an Air Force colonel that also wrote me a letter of recommendation. Uh, I was... I was two hours shy of getting my private pilot's license. I was flying Cessnas before I had a driver's license. And uh, I was so stoked to do it. But of course, my best friend was like, dude, I'm going, I'm going to go join the SEAL training. And if you graduate, you get $60,000. And I was like, what? <laughs> grand. I was like, dude, sign me up. I'm not getting anything from the Air Force. Like, let's go. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, long story short, I have uh, really bad perforated eardrums. I have permanent tubes installed in my ears. So when I went through boot camp, 
I, cr- I, I just crushed the PRTs, which is your physical readiness, uh, readiness test, uh, push-ups, sit-ups. I mean, I was 120 pounds, so I had no weight on me. I could do 30 pull-ups. It was nothing. I could do 160 push-ups. I could do sit-ups. I could run. Those things weren't hard for me. Um, but uh, oh, I kind of lost my train of thought. But yeah, that was that, so I found out about my ears. I wasn't allowed to go to Bud's um, right. because I had a pre-existing condition. So the next thing I could either go into EOD, which is a, oh, I'm gonna have to decline this. Sorry, Are you guys still there? Yeah, yeah, we're good. All right, so I had to, <laughs> I had to decline that. Um, so I could either go to EOD's uh, Explosive Ordnance Disposal, which is epic. Those guys are insane. Um, the amount of academics and studying and and <laughs> it's a lot that they have to yeah. do. Um, I could either go do that or I could go join a, and become a Navy SWIC. Um, so those are my two options, or I could just go four years in the Navy and then use my air force package and transfer over and go back to the Academy. Um, but I chose to, cho- I chose to go SWIC because no one's ever heard of it. It was pretty lucrative at the time. Uh, for those of the, for those of your viewers who don't know what SWIC is, uh, let's just keep it that way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's special warfare combat and craft crewmen. Basically we're Jason Statham. If you guys ever watched the movie transporter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we do for Navy SEALs. So we drive them, we bring them in to, to their environment, whether it's a hostile or our uh, clandestine operations, whether it's on jet skis, boats, dirt bikes, MRTVs, side-by-sides, Hiluxes, like you name it, we drive it. We just don't fly. Um, when I saw that, I was like, well, I, I still feel like I'm part of the team, so I might as well just go for it. And uh, nice. that's what I did. And that's how I ended up in the military. Nice. <laughs> Dash, you um, you know, just listening to you, you seem like such an optimistic guy, and you know we talk to our kids all the time about it. there's always two ways to look at any situation. Um, so one of the the quotes that really stood out to Chris and I separately, and then it brought us together to talk about you, um, is something that you you put on Instagram in one of your posts. I'm just going to read it for our uh, listeners. At the end of it all. Looking by, I look at it in this regard. You can choose to get by and flow like water through life's challenges, flowing into the paths of least resistance to ultimately get to your end goal. Or you can choose to be the outlier, the one who goes above and beyond, who chooses to take on the duty and responsibility of a leader and suffer the consequences for a team. In that, you will lead gray men to be more than just shadows. So that was very powerful and we'd love you to expand on that and, and, and kind of just tell our viewers and listeners um, how you live your life in that way and what that means to you. Uh, hearing someone else read the quote that I wrote, it's a little, it's a little different when you, when you hear it in that aspect. I was, when I wrote that, I was literally speaking from the heart. Um, that was my entire, that was my entire life, basically, is I had, I had every opportunity to take the easy street. I did. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I could, I could have just got by through high school. I could have, I could have went through training and been this, this mediocre guy who just slipped through the cracks. Um, and, it, and I've seen a lot of guys take those paths and it all power to them because they made it. They're great men. Um, but there was something inside of me that wanted to drive people to, to be the best they could be. That was my passion. It was never to highlight my achievements. It was always to empower people to see their potential and to like go above and beyond it because and in, in that, that's rewarding to me if I can motivate you and I think that's a true aspect of a good leader is 
in that there's a huge sacrifice that you have to take upon yourself because the moment you build somebody else, you have to bring yourself down to their level or even lower. Um, so for a good, good example of what we're going through training in Coronado, there's this thing called the goon squad. Goon squad is kind of the, the back of the pack, the, 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 the least uh, fit or physically uh, they're not the greatest runners. I'll just put it that way. Um, but in that you could either, I was a great runner. I grew up on the beaches of Hawaii. I love to run. I was always at the front of the pack, but I would watch for hours on end that these guys would not only, they're giving it their all. This is the best they can do. And then they had to suffer because they didn't finish or because they didn't meet that requirement or that time frame. They had more weight or more, you know, more repercussions because they didn't make it. And I felt like such a dirt bag sitting on the sidelines because I was so successful at running that other people were suffering because they weren't good at it. And nobody was going over there to help them. We would, we would sit on the sidelines. We'd drink our water and have our snack. We'd look at the goon squad and be like, dude, sucks to be them thank goodness we're here. And I couldn't stand it because growing up in my childhood, I knew so many people looked at me in my state, taking showers on the beach with ragged clothes, no shoes on. And just, they were just, I, I could see it in their faces, man, it sucks to be that kid. Thank God that's not me. And I remember that feeling. I remember that. And I never, I never looked at them like, dude, like, why, why would you say that? I remember looking at it and just analyzing being like, uh, that, yeah, just kind of that is kind of interesting to look at it in that perspective. But I saw that in my own teammates. These are guys that are going through training with me. And I got sick of it. I was like, they're still out there putting out. And they're if you think you're giving 110% just because you're good at running, you're lying to yourself. You may be good. I'm I'm only putting out 50% if I have to be honest. This is easy. This is easy for me. This is really hard for the rest of my teammates. So I'm gonna sacrifice myself. I'm gonna push myself to the 110% where they're at. I'm going to go and suffer with them. So I'd go over there and I would just do the berm runs. I would do the beat downs. I'd do the surf torture with them. And in that, while they were miserable, while no one was standing up for them, I would put a smile on their face and I would, I would bring up funny little jokes and be, I would tell them, dude, we're getting paid to get beat on the beaches of Coronado. <laughs> it's like, we have beachfront property at, at, at barracks 618. It's like, how cool is this? We get free food after we eat this. How many donuts are you going to eat after we get beat? Just that little small victory, that one person that could be the outlier, that one person who can take it upon themselves because they know they can take it to go out there made a huge difference. Every single person in my goon squad graduated, every single guy. Wow. And it's because you, have, you, but it takes, it takes, it takes more than just courage. You have to, you have to break yourself down and say, I'm no better than the rest of my team because you're not. I can't yeah. do th- I can't do it without them. I can't lift a zodiac over my head without these guys. So why am I gonna sit? Why am I gonna sit on the sidelines and just enjoy the luxuries of being good at something that someone's or someone's not at? And you can take that same as- uh, aspect into business, right? Like I'm I'm in a I'm in a business world now, and uh, we're in the beverage industry. I know nothing about DSD networks. I know nothing about distribution. I know nothing about beverages or or wholesale. Like all these things are foreign to me. I have an amazing team and we all bring ourselves, they brought themselves from this high up position. You're talking about VPs of vitamin water to me, the lowest common denominator. They lifted me up, put me in front of all these people. I got to tell my story and now I'm immersed and I'm part of this cohesive unit where we're all as strong as each other. There's no one better than the other person. And that is a strong team. That's what makes good leaders. 
Yeah, I've never heard it put that way. It's so true. Um, you know, the best leaders will bring themselves down a little bit to lift others up. It's such a great visual and a way to put it. Dash, you've been talking about that burning desire just to help others and, and empower others and see them succeed. Is that something people are born with, in your opinion, or, or that you can develop? Um, and, and how did it develop for you? Or is it just as long as you can remember, you've always wanted to help others? Uh, no, that's, it's, it's never been. It, it's something I had to work on. And it's, it's, it's an honest, it's my own, that's from the heart. It's, 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 ne- it's not, and it's, it's because it's so uncomfortable. It really is. It's not, it's not, it's not a feel good place to, to want to, to go into those situations, to, to break yourself down, to, to uh, empower others because and I guess, I guess the way to put it, is, it's just easy to go to take the easy street. It, it really is. You get stuck on a grind and uh, habitual moments in your life where you just go through a mundane routine over and over again and you get lackadaisical or you get comfortable. Uh, that's a big thing you hear in the SEAL team community is, is, uh, is get comfortable being uncomfortable. No easy right. day was yesterday. You get all these slogans and, and ethos, but there's so much truth to it. The only way you can truly grow, and this is just my personal opinion, uh, you, you know, I, I've, got, I've got people who told me otherwise. I've got people in the teams who told me otherwise, and I get it. But my personal opinion is the only true way for, for me or, for, or what I tell others to grow is you really got to dig deep and suffer. You, you, for, for me, I had, to, I had to struggle through life's challenges just to come up on the other side. Because when I look back at those hard things and I see that I took the hard road and look at where I've become, I could have got there by taking, you know, taking the easy street or taking the highway and got the same, got to the same place. But if you look at the, both of the two different people, one person is still the exact same person he was when he took that road, the easy street. Nothing's changed in his life. He may be successful. He made a lot, still a lot more money. The person who took the hard street is a completely different person. There's nothing same about that person from where he started. And that is who I want to be. I'm okay with taking the hard road. I'm going to be great when I get to the other side of it. I had to learn that through adversity, just through my childhood, through growing up, through all my challenges. I saw kids who were in the exact same scenario as me, growing up in child protective services. Horrible, horrible hoodlums, like the worst of the worst. Like we'd steal stuff all the time, beat up other kids. I wanted nothing to do with that. There's no greatness in life out of that. You're following the exact same footsteps that got you there. Your parents did the exact same things. You're rep- you're you're just following this, this uh, this 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 cycle that will never end. It's gonna take that outlier. It's gonna take that person that says enough is enough. I gotta find another way. And if it's gonna be harder for me to, to do that, then I'm gonna do it because on the other end, I don't want to be like you. <laughs> I don't want to be in that situation. I want to be better. And that was like that was kind of the nugget that 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 pushed me to, to be where I am, where where I went, and where I'm at now. Yeah. Is, is that something that, again, like, is that something that as a kid, you just, you, you felt like, I, like, I don't want to, I don't want to continue down this path. Like I get where I'm at right now, but I know this isn't where I want to wind up or were, or were there examples along the way, you know, like maybe even like your adoptive parents or were there like people that kind of ex, um, modeled some of this behavior and attitude for you that helped develop it, you know, even through, even through your work in special forces and, and beyond. I would say the only way they modeled it is they never helped me, which is the greatest gift they could have given me. 
there was no there was no um, sympathy. There was no empathy for my situation. My foster parents could care less in my childhood. They didn't care. They just wanted me to be great because now I held their name. And if I wasn't living up to their expectations, it was dishonorable onto that family. I wanted, I didn't want to, I didn't want any part of that. I want to want to make them look good. And I think that was a really good lesson in life for me. It was the failures in my life have direct consequences, not just to myself, but to the others who are supporting me. And I think that makes you a great leader. You know, just because you, you make mistakes, you know, you don't just be like, oh, well, better luck next time. Or yeah, that was stupid. I shouldn't do that. There are huge consequences to everybody that's surrounding you. Everybody on your team is going to suffer in one way or another, or they're going to look at you or you're going to have a bad reputation and that's going to reflect on your company or your, your squadron or, or your military career. So that was, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that's how they kind of modeled it with me that kind of raised me into that, into that situation where I was at. Yeah. So it was kind of like, um, we, we know where you, we know where you, where you come from, but that's, that's less important than where we envision you going. Totally. Yeah, totally. And, and what, what I really appreciated them is I failed at everything. I failed yeah. at school. I failed at life. I failed at skateboarding. I failed in my military <laughs> career a ton, but they never ever was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like it's going to be okay. You know, just keep trying. No, they burned me, man. They just, they just destroyed me. My military proctors, they just ripped me apart. And that was, that's that was a huge growth. That's why I'm saying when you suffer, when you go through all this suffering in your life, you truly become great on the other end of it. Like when you melt down gold and you refine gold, you get the purest form of it afterwards, after right. it's refined. Right. And that's what I saw my whole life is like, I'm going to go through all this turmoil. I remember, and it was this crazy perspective to have as a kid, but I remember being a kid thinking about being a grandparent. Like I really did. I remember being a kid. I remember being 10 years old with living. I had no, no family. My mom's working on the streets, prostituting her body. I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to have kids of my own and I'm going to raise them. And we're I'm, I'm never going to put them through this. How am I going to do that? As a kid, I was looking at all these things in my future. What do I got to do? I think now in life, I met, I meet a lot of kids and I mentor a lot of people and no one looks 10 years in advance. No one looks 15 years or 20 years in advance in their, in their own lives. Like you, you can talk about investment, like strategies and everything. That's great. But no one personally like, takes it upon themselves to look at growth in their own life and say, if this is who I want to be, this is where I want to go. How do I get there? It's right. hard. It sucks. Yeah. But there, there's a lot of failures. There's a lot of lessons learned that you're going to go through. And I held on to all of them, but I also let them go. All right. I took it all upon me to learn from them. I took the good gold nuggets out of it and I left all the other stuff away that had nothing of value to me. And uh, yeah. Now you, you, so you mentioned, right. Wanting to having that vision as a child. And now I, I know you have your own kids, right. You have two, two kids, if I'm not mistaken, right. Boys. How, yep. Two boys. So um, I have three of my own. So I, I <laughs> three boys. So I know how, I know how wild that can be. Um, how, how is that? How is that now? Have, have actually having your own kids and, and thinking about those visions that you had for yourself as a as a child. How, how does that compare? Um, and uh, you know, like I, I know you. There's a lot that I just skipped in between in terms of <laughs> how you got no. to where you where you are. Um, you know, and I'd love to talk about some of those those things too. But just ha- like, how is that now? How does that vision compare to what what reality is? 
You know, that's, that's a really, that's a really interesting uh, question. I actually reflected on it. I think last month I was going through, uh, I keep journals of my whole life. Like I write down things daily. And uh, I remember looking at a journal entry before my kids were born, how nervous I was to be a parent. Cause I'm like, here we go. I was (laughs) was dreaming about this moment and now I'm here. And uh, I was terrified. I was like, I'm going to be the worst dad ever. Like I'm never (laughs) going to be home. I'm always going to be deployed. Like what a dirt bag I am Uh, to where I'm at with my kids now the most important thing I did with my children is relationship. I wanted them to know that they were truly loved, respected, honored, cherished. I wanted that as my foundation with them. Once I had that, I noticed I had some really big flaws of being a parent. And for me personally, it was that because of my lifestyle that I had or my childhood, that my upbringing that I had, I wanted to pamper the shit out of my kids. <laughs> I want to spoil them with everything. I wanted them to be the happiest people on the entire planet. Nothing was ever going to harm my kids. No, there was never going to be a struggle because I took it all on myself. And I saw this after about my, my, my kids are four and six now. Um, but as they were growing up, you know, in the threes and the toddler ages, I was like, dude, I'm raising a bunch of spoiled brats. And I hope they watch, I hope these, I hope my kids get to watch this when I'm dead and gone and they're in their thirties. I was like, this is not how I want to raise my kids. Like I want my kids to have professional mannerisms. I want my kids to be respectful and kind and caring. And I want my kids to never take anything for granted. How do I do that? And that's where I, that's where I bring it back around. Struggling brings true greatness out of life. I make my kids suffer. I do. I don't give them what they want all the time. Yeah. Am I a bad parent for it? Maybe, but guess what? Life's life's really tough, and I want yeah. them to learn these things early in life. I don't I don't pamper them. I love them to death, and because I love them so much, I want them to struggle. But I also want them to know that I am there for them when they fall down. I will pick you back up, but I'm going to push you again. I'm going to make you go and do it again. But I'm there. I'll never leave you. I think in that and that and being a parent, just that's just my personal opinion. That's just all I needed in, in my life. As long as I knew that someone was there, even though I was getting trashed or getting beat, I just had someone to go and vent to, someone who was always watching, who always cared for my well-being. I was cool with that. And I always had that in my life. So I don't know if that answered your question, but my oh, I, I personally, if, if, I, if I had to be honest right now, my kids are amazing. I would never <laughs> tell them. I don't tell that to them. I don't. I don't want to build them up too high. We learned that in the military. You never tell someone they're great. You just be like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'll beat you right, next time. Right, right. They're phenomenal. They're so mentally strong. They're so mentally tough. They're just, I'm, I'm proud. And they're only four and six. Like these kids yeah. are going to whoop my ass when I, when they get older. But, um, that's, um, that's really powerful dash and uh you know i'm I'm a parent as well so uh appreciate the advice um so um you know one thing that chris and i have been talking about and and kind of i guess in the world of education is is kind of this there's a fine line and between um competition and being the best you can you want to be and and the best you can be and um and life's a competition and the world's a very competitive place and um but we also don't want our kids just worrying about the results and just worrying about the future and just worrying about the end result and, and forgetting about the process and forgetting about the daily habits and the, about being a good person and about, so I just wanted to ask you about um, kind of you and, and you've been at the highest level in the military and um, I'm sure are uh, one of the most competitive 
persons in the world, you know, um, what, what is your view on competition and the role it has in, 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 in educating our children and, and, and having them fail? That's where they learn the most and not keeping them in this protective bubble um, until they're 18 and they go into the real world and it hits them in the face. So I just wanted to get your view and your take on, on competition. Uh, it's a great question, especially because I'm the soccer coach for my kids' team now. So nice. learning, <laughs> learning a lot, learning a lot, especially dealing with other parents who don't like my way of coaching, which is totally fine. Um, man, I had I had something. Uh, are you like yeah. feral and kicking and screaming? Is that the kind of coach you are? <laughs> <laughs> I got. I guess the, here's the thing that bugs me about competition: is is everyone's a winner. Everyone gets a trophy. Yeah. Um, no man left behind. I mean, you hear those terms, like I heard those terms in, in the in the military as well, going through selection phases. None of that's true. Like there is failure. I I remember this. Uh, I was so afraid to take this. It was called a it was called a Chang board. It's a chief uh, chief engineer qualification board where you have to memorize a bunch of hoopla about weapon systems and boats. Um, but you have to stand in front of all these master chiefs and, you know, your, your unit commander and all these other guys that have been in the command for so long. And you have to tell them everything there is about a weapon system, a boat, a car. And people come out of there and they're like kicking and screaming, like I failed or I missed this or I messed up on that. It terrified me. I was like, dude, I am not smart. I'll be, I am not a smart person. Uh, I just don't have the brains for it. I'm a, I'm a very photogenic. I can memorize things that are put in front of me, but when it comes to numbers and letters or reading in general, I'm just, I'm just not very savvy in that department. So I was terrified to go in, in this board and sit in front of these people and tell them everything that they already know. And uh, the, the, a lot of the advice that I got from my teammates were go in, it's 99% confidence, 1% bullshit. And I was like, what? It's like it's it's just it's all about how you present it. Know what you know and just state those facts and keep elaborating on it and just grow from there. It's like that's not gonna help me, man, because I don't know anything. And I stood in that board and I and I I went in there with the most up upbeat confidence, of thinking I was gonna rock it, and they destroyed me. Like they they called me out on everything. They ripped into sub annexes and appendix D slashes. Z on military code and I was like I have no idea I got ripped apart I got kicked out of the room I didn't even make 15 minutes of my board it's supposed to be two hours long wow and I was just I was just my heart was broken like my my heart my, my physical heart was like felt like a girl just dumped me in high school I was like dude what just happened like what am I doing like I should have been way more prepared I should have tried harder I should have done this I thought I was gonna be awesome I thought I'm supposed to be awesome and my master chief came out and told me something that I carry to this day that just helped me with everything else. And he goes, Dash, I want to tell you, the only way you truly fail is when you give up. It's right. like, if you think you failed that board, you didn't. It's not over. It's never over. It's only over when you say it's over. Do you quit? It's like, no, I'll never quit. It's like, well, then do it again. So next month I went back in and I crushed it. I take that aspect with the kids or, 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 or growing up in sports or in teams or anything else, go out there and try it, go out there and fail, be awful, just be just horrible, but give it your best. And if your best is just crap, that's fine. But when you come back to it, just don't give up because the next time you come back to it, you're going to be that much better and you're going to fail again. 
and you're going to get that much better the next time you do it until ultimately you're going to be so proficient at this one thing that you've been trying your best at, whatever it is that when you started down here and you failed and you failed and you failed, you ever seen that, that, uh, that meme or that gif with the guy with the, the books of failures where you just kept stacking books of failures and keep walking up that steps. Yep. yep. And you find he's at the top and he looks at all his failures that he had, that he, that he walked upon to get where he's at. And he's at the top and everyone's looking up at him and be like, how'd you do it? How'd you get so successful? How are you? So how'd you get all the way up there? I want to get up there. And he just smiles. And he goes, you just fail. You just fail. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And so I told my kids at soccer, we had, we just had a game last week. And uh, it's a bunch of six and eight year olds. Nothing. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not trying to downplay them. They're awesome. But uh, the kid came up to me. He's like, "Mr. Dash, like we're gonna have so much fun." I was like, "Yeah, we're gonna be awesome." He's like, and he goes around. He's kind of the 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 uh, what do you call it? The team the team uh, captain and whatnot. And he goes, "Guys, what are we here to do?" And they're like, "We're here to have fun." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! That's not what we're here to do, guys." And his parents got really mad at me. It's like we're not here to have fun. Fun is a byproduct of what we're going to do. That's just evident. We're, we like playing soccer. It gives us joy. That's not the mission. The mission is to win. It's to make goals. If we don't, we fail. That's okay because we're going to learn from it. We're not here to have fun. If you're here to have fun, you can go play on the soccer field over there and not play in this competition. You guys can go have all the fun you want. We're here, we're here, to, we're here to prove something of ourselves. We're here to be great. That's what comp. That's why competition is so important. You're gonna fail. You're gonna lose. You're gonna suck. And even the best, it's it's hard being great. It really is, because everybody's looking to defeat you. Everyone wants to beat you, because the minute they beat you, they get all the gratification, all the glory, saying, "I beat the best person in the whole wide world." Now look at me. It's a lot of responsibility of being a champion. But you'll never be a champion if you don't ever play the game. You don't. You don't put yourself out there to lose. You have to play. And that, I don't know if that answered that question, but that's kind of my mindset on it. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that answers the question perfectly, you know, Definitely. like it, it really, I, I agree with you 100% about the idea of everyone getting a trophy. Um, I've, I think I might've even taken one away from my kid once when he came home. <laughs> you don't need this. It's okay. You don't need a participation award. Um, yeah. But uh, I, you know, I, Obviously, at a certain point, your your life in the military ended, um, and 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 civilian life began. Um, now, I, I personally, I know a little bit about that story, but for for the sake of our listeners, I mean, I, I think that ties into, um, you know, I'd like to talk about you know the Mount Albert challenge, and we'll get to that in a minute. I think it ties into that a little bit, just the you know the idea of of, of civilian life and working with with um, disabled veterans and um, but I think your part in that story is important before we get there. Um, and I think it ties into the, uh, the, everything that we've been talking about, about struggling. Uh, and, and if you don't mind just kind of sharing, I know that there's a lot that you can go into there, um, but even just kind of summing up some of, some of what, uh, what you had to go through um, towards the end of your career and into civilian life. Absolutely. I'll try and highlight it as quick as I can, but uh so I spent 14 years in the most advanced special forces organization in the world, worked my entire butt off to get there. And I was finally established and I was set at a tier one unit. It was, it was awesome. I was, I felt like David and Goliath where David was the tall guy amongst giants. 
these guys were great and they did nothing but make me want to be better. Like when you're surrounded by these people, I can't even talk about their work ethic or their strength or their mental aptitude. I learned so much from them every single day. I just felt so tiny around these good, huge guys. I only say that to preface this is I've worked my butt off to get there, like blood, sweat, tears. Like I was, I did everything I could to get there. And then in it was September 23rd, 2017, uh, we got a mission that we were supposed to go on. We were, we were packed all of our bags, kissed my family goodbye, getting ready to go. I had three days to prepare at the command before we went off on this mission. Um, I had, there's this thing called HAPS, which is high altitude preparation. Uh, it's like a medical screening you have to do every five years to be able to jump out of an airplane. And my HAPS medical card was expired. And the mission we were about to go on, we had to jump out of a plane to go do our thing. So my doc at the time said, just go get a chest x-ray. And then we'll have that on file and say that you were trying to get it done, but we have to go do this mission. We'll finish the entire examination after you get back. So I went, got my chest x-ray right across the street, came back in like nothing ever happened. I, I remember I was still, I was putting optics on my rifle and uh, we were sh I was shooting the shit with my buddy. I was like, dude, what are you, what are you running? Why are you? Or are you bringing a bipod on, on a 10 inch barrel? It doesn't make any sense. And uh, <clears throat> I remember we go up to the, we go up to our place where we get mission brief and we're going over details of what we're going to get into. And I wasn't allowed into the room. I got pulled off by my command master chief and he's, he just looked at me. He's like, Hey, we just got a bunch of emails. We need you to go down to Portsmouth medical. You're not going to be able to come on this mission. Um, but I don't want to scare you. And I was like, Whoa. Well, uh, you already screwed that card because I'm now I'm freaking out. And uh, I was like, can you tell me what's going on? He's like, I can't. He's like, I just got a red flag on, on an email. Medical wants you to go down there. It's like, okay, worst case scenario starts running through your head. You're like, that's it. I'm going to die. <laughs> this is something bad. And uh, go down to medical. And I was 30 years old at the time. Well, actually, I was 29. And my medical officer told me, he's like, you are so young. I was running five and a half minute miles like, every day. Like Chad Wright and I were like this. I've never worked <laughs> with him, but he loved running. I, I like everyone. I lived up to my name, Dash. That's all I did was run. No, it's not all I did, but that was what I was really, really good at right. running. And he was like, you're young. You're extremely fit and jacked. I don't know if your group viewers can see me, but just draw that image of your head of how beautiful I was as a specimen of a man. <laughs> and uh, he goes, he, he was like, he's like, I don't want you to worry about this. This happens a lot, but you have, we found tumors or growths inside of your right lung. And he's like, it could be absolutely nothing. A lot of times you get a virus, you know, your body encapsulates it in your lung or whatever, like pneumonia, you get scarring and all this stuff. He's like, so just chill out. Don't over, don't overbuild this or don't over exaggerate what, what this situation is until we have answers. But he's like, there's a lot of testing that's going to happen. Fast forward to November. Um, I, I got what's called a wedge resection on my lung to cut the tumor out, to sample it, to see if it was cancerous. They couldn't figure it out. I ended up bleeding out after that surgery. lost 40% of my blood in my chest cavity. Um, well, I woke up, was, uh, and I basically had a 10% chance of survival after that because of all this, the, the, the scar tissue, the damage, the... Um, the state of the state that I was in, I wasn't at a chaplain praying over me when I woke up and uh, that's never a good sign when you wake up yeah. from a, in the ICU. So 
I recovered from that. Still had no idea what these tumors were. And uh, I got a call in December. It was right after Christmas. And I got a call from Portsmouth saying uh, I was diagnosed with stage two adenocarcinoma. So the tumors were cancerous. They were malignant and they were spreading to my lymph nodes inside of my lung, which once again, to your lymph nodes in your lung, then they go straight to your brain. And then you're pretty much in a lot of trouble. So it was a big deal. But here's the bad part. I couldn't get surgery because I had no blood. <laughs> so <laughs> I couldn't go to Duke. I couldn't get I couldn't get chemo. I couldn't get radiation because I was anemic. So it was like a worst case scenario. It was, it was a rough time in my life. But my, uh, I, don't, I, I highlight them a lot, but the Navy SEAL Foundation are incredible. I didn't ask for help. Us tough guys in, in special forces teams, we're not very good at reaching out. We're, we're pretty much tough chested, barrel chested, we puffer chest. We're going to, I got this. I'm gonna be, this. And my mindset the whole time going through cancer was I'm going to fight this. I'm going to be this bald headed dude like on the ground running and gunning with my with my mates like crushing souls like this is gonna be awesome like i thought i was i thought i was a badass before but now i'm badass fighting cancer and still on the battlefield i was like let's go like that's just that's just how we're wired right and i remember i was like and talking about leadership i was i was in a leadership position in my squadron and i remember wanting to to show them toughness i want them to i wanted to show them fortitude i wanted to show them motivation i want to build them up if I'm going through cancer and I could be motivated and ready to go and psyched, then you can too. That's, that was my, my mentality. If I was anemic, I couldn't get out of the couch, couldn't walk across the house, tube stick on my chest. And I was like, I'm going to be awesome. Um, long story short, the Navy SEAL Foundation came in. They knew my situation better than I did. They reached out to Duke Medical Center in North Carolina. Life flighted me down there. Uh, number one sur- surgeon in the world for lobectomies. Uh, ended up getting my right lung removed because of the cancer um, and woke up from that surgery. Now I'm on one lung. So I'm like a four stroke cut down to a two stroke, uh, still windy, ready to go, but don't really have the stamina that I used to by any yeah. means. Um, that ultimate, once I had that surgery done, my career was over. I knew it without a doubt. I could either sit in ops or, or supply or do something like that. <coughs> but uh, I knew I was never going to be operating in the same level that I trained so hard to get to. Mm-hmm. So that led onto a huge series of depression, regret, remorse, um, beat myself up, getting mad. Uh, the only re- real thing I had to hang on to, I should say my family, but it wasn't, it was God. It was, it was a whole bunch of battles back and forth between me and him. I was like, why me? What are you doing? What? After all the things I've been in my life that uh, you've helped me through. And now this is how it ends. Like, this is ridiculous um to a common the lord's always been funny in my life where we have comical satirical words of wisdom that we pass that he passes back and forth to me where he's just like shut up <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just are you serious you, you, you doubt me after all the things that i put you through you doubt that i have this yeah and uh yeah. he's and he also put, i have this this i'm just wired really weird in the head where he's like if this is the way you go out and i remember thinking this on the battlefield and fighting fighting wars in somalia or doing whatever i did if this is the way I go out, I'm going to go out in the best way that I can. I'm going to, I'm going to go out running and gunning. I want to be the guy that everyone remembers. Like, dude, he was awesome. If I'm going through cancer, I want to be awesome at cancer. I want to crush it. I want people to look at me as the example of how to fight cancer. I want them to hold on to that. And I wasn't doing that. I was just the suck hole of a human being of just, just regret remorse. And I was like, 
yeah, I got to do something about this. So um, got medically retired from the military, sold everything that we owned, moved into a Volkswagen bus and traveled the country with a mission to, I was supposed to be like the spokesperson on my own show where I was going to highlight veteran brands and do exactly what I talked about in the beginning of this podcast, raise up others so that we could glorify each other. Yeah. I want to build up all these veteran brands across America so that I could show people how to transition out of the military successful. Look at these guys. They did it. I don't know how to do it. These guys did it. So let's listen to them. And, uh, and in that, I got, ended up getting aligned with Kill Cliff, Navy SEAL Foundation. Uh, we raised over a million dollars for the foundation, which is awesome. And now I'm a regional full-time employee for the company. Um, but th- so with that, I got a lot of health issues with my lung, with nerve damage. I suffer from permanent neuropathy in my rib cage, which means it's like if your foot falls asleep on a log, you know, and you get all those mm-hmm. pins and needles and you have to shake it out. That's my entire chest from my clavicle down to my, uh, down to my abdomen. Like can't touch it. Seatbelts hurt. It's like that zinging sensation where you're just like, just don't touch me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm dealing with that. I, I can't breathe. Of course, it's, it's a given, but I just make the best of it. So COVID screwed me over a bunch. I got COVID last year in March. Um, didn't understand the implications of what it was going to do to my body. Just thought I was going to be sick. But ended up taking 40% scar tissue in my good lung that I have left. So breathing was really a chore for me after that. <coughs> um like I said, I remember going through that. I was supposed to get put on a roster to get a lung transplant after I got COVID. And uh, that means cracking open this side of my rib now and dealing with this lung. And I was like, dude, I don't want to do that. Like I have a bad history of that, those procedures. It's not going to be good for me. So I just started dirt biking. I was like, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm just done. I don't care anymore. I'm going to go and live my life. So I started dirt biking. I started running started working out even harder, started climbing mountains, started going backpacking with the kids and the wife, fly fishing. It's like, this is how I go out, this is how I go out, and I'm going to go enjoy it. I'm going to go and be the best that I can be for my family and for myself instead of just, and now don't take this advice if you're going through those situations. Definitely listen to your medical provider, listen to your doctor, <laughs> trust what they say. I'm stubborn. I am, I am, I'm I have a bad history with doctors. Um, so don't listen to my medical advice, but that's just what I did. And in that, I removed 99% of my scar tissue in my lung. Wow. So now I have a good lung. I can breathe. Right. And uh, with that, I've, I, I aligned myself with a mission called the Mount Albert Project. So if you guys want to check us out, we're on, a, we're on the Insta face, the Facetagram, however you guys want to spend. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, oh, I'm sorry, it's not the, it's called the Mount Albert Challenge. So it's myself, the one lunged warrior, we got Steve Foshin. He's the world's strongest man. He's in his 50s, blew up both his quads during his last uh, strongman competition where he got told he'll never walk again, he'll never lift again, and his career is over. And I was like, Steve, that was me in 2017. Like, I didn't blow my quads out and don't nearly lift as much as weight as you do. He used to be a prior Marine. Um, I was like, but I know that feeling, man. I know, I know where you're at mentally. I know where you're at spiritually. And he was laying in bed just a mess. He's just like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I said, the one thing that helped me was having a mission. And I had that ever since I was a kid to be great, to provide hope for others. You need to have a mission. So we came up with a mission to to climb the highest 14,000 foot mountain in Colorado called Mount Albert. And we're going to do it in September. So with that, he, now his, his focus wasn't on his injuries anymore. wasn't on his self-suffering anymore. It was, I need to do something. 
And I said, it was, it's more important than that, Steve. It's like, you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for every person who's going to watch you climb that mountain. Who's in your exact, uh, exact same situation. Who's in that scenario suck. Who feels like they can't provide any good to this world because they're injured or because everything got taken from them. It's like, you're going to provide that hope for them. That's what this world needs. It needs people to stand up even in their worst case situation. Cause you don't know who's watching. There's my, my story sounds really bad when I say it, but when I tell it like, like how it is, <clears throat> bro, there, the, there are people in way worse situations that, that I'm, that I grew up in way worse. <clears throat> so I can't ever go into the, the scenario. Woe is me. These kids are way worse. It's going to take that outlier. It's going to take that person to go in the goon squad to lift them up. It's going to take yeah. that person to highlight themselves to show them there's hope, to show them that you can be better. Who cares? You, you got injuries. You got, we all got injuries. But who's going to go out there and crush it? Who's going to go set the example? This is the best that you can be. You can be great. So now we're going to go climb it. And then uh, we also got a soft door. He's a, uh, he's a uh, Israeli special forces fighter. And speaking of now, like, look at everything that's going on in Israel, yeah, right. Uh, Israel right now. Um, so he fought there. He was, he, was, he was on the front lines back in the day, back when. And uh, he lost his leg. He lost his leg in the line of duty being a sheriff in Florida. And uh, so he brought on on the mission too. So now we got the one-legged Asaf. We got Steve Foch, the world's strongest man. And I was like, I don't know why you guys brought me along because I'm just going to be sucking down O2 while I climb the mountain. <laughs> fine. But you guys have it way worse than me. And it's funny. We all point fingers at each other like, you're way worse than me. I was like, no, dude, you're way worse than me. You're all jacked Competition. Up. It's competition. Yeah, but, yeah. but in it, we're lifting each other up because we're cracking yeah, jokes. And we're all miserable. Like, we are. We, we got horrible, horrible circumstances where uh, or even our mountain guides who are bringing us up to the challenge, they're like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is not a good idea. And I was like, no, this is a great idea. This yeah. is great. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is what we're going to do. But yeah, I'm excited about it and pumped. Awesome. And- Hey, Dash, that sounds great. I just want to, um, I want to thank you, uh, first of all, for your service. And, uh, you know, whenever I meet people like you and um, I just feel so fortunate and safer, um, just knowing that I can go about my everyday life and my family's everyday life, knowing that we have people like you uh, defending us behind the scenes. And uh, so I'm so grateful just to hear you speak. And uh, truly one of them, the most inspiring guys I've, I've, I've had a chance to meet and talk to. So I can't wait to uh, continue to follow your journey and learn more from you. And um, we're going to spread your word as much as we can to our students and our teachers here in, in Ridgewood, New Jersey. And nice. hopefully you'll get some, uh, some more fans out here in Jersey. We can we see all the great things you accomplish here in the uh, upcoming years. So I just want to say thank you. Oh, thanks yeah. guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Ab- absolutely. Uh, Dash, where can people find you on, on social media and where can they find uh, the Mount Albert challenge? Awesome. Yeah. Um, so my name, my name on social media is Dash in a van. Um, I just came up with it because I was living in a Volkswagen, but it's where I post all my <laughs> content. You can also find us at the uh, Mount Albert challenge on Instagram or Facebook. Um, that's where we're posting updates on, on our, our struggles as well as our, our things we're overcoming. We're work, putting posting out workouts on there. Uh, and our main mission on that page, of course, you know, we, we need, we're trying to raise money, but that's not our focus. Our focus is really to, if you know somebody who's in a circumstance kind of like that we went through, or if you know that someone that's str- struggling through PTSD, if they, if you, if they know someone who has a, a, a an injury that that's kind of bringing them down, that they're not, they're not coming out of that hole. Those are the people we want to reach out to. Those are the people we want to talk to. 
that we can motivate, that we can lift up, that we can provide strength, or we can even provide resources uh, that are available to, to them in their area. So if you guys know about it, if you spread the word uh, to all, any of your listeners, uh, the Mount Albert Challenge is our way of, of, of lifting those people up that are, that are going through a rough time. And, and when are you guys going to actually climb the mountain? September 17th. So uh, we didn't, we didn't, we definitely don't want to compete with September 11th because yeah. it's, a, it's definitely an important time in our, in our history. It's the 20th year anniversary uh, since that event. So Jeez. we're, we're going to, we're going to yeah. take a, a moment to reflect on that. And then a, a week after that, we're going to go and summit this mountain. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Um, Dash again, I, I, this has been awesome. And I really thank you for your, for your time, obviously for your, for your service as well. I can only echo what Dave said. Um, and it's been a, it's been a real honor for me, um, having, you know, having listened to, uh, your episode on the three of seven podcast and I'll, I'll share a link to those episodes. It was actually so long. It was split in two, um, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll share a, a link to those episodes in, in our show notes and, uh, and put your, your social media information in there as well. Um, you know, and hopefully we can, we can get the word out about the Mount, Mount Albert challenge and, um, you know, and really just know that, you know, even just by, by donating in a, a couple of bucks, it's going to support you guys, but have that ripple effect of, of really helping people beyond. And, uh, if there's anything that can sum up your life to this point and your attitude and, and, um, and, and the way you see the world, I think that that's it right there is what can I do to help somebody else out? So, um, you know, I, I, that's been the recurring theme throughout our conversation. And, and, uh, I really hope that, uh, the people that listen to this can, can take something away in that regard and really if, go out and do something for someone else, uh, to really lift them up. So thank you for sharing your message, um, and, and for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Dave. It was nice to finally meet you guys. Yeah, definitely. You, All right, everybody. This has been the Leadership Compass Podcast.